0: Dr. Shuby. It's a real privilege for me to be here with you this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity that Pastor Van has afforded me to speak. And the assignment he has given me to speak on the priority of prayer. Have you ever wondered about the value of prayer? Why am I doing this? After all, can we really change God's will? Isn't he going to do what he wants to do? Since God knows all my needs and has promised to supply them, why do I need to ask Him for help? If God is sovereign and accomplishes His ultimate purposes in the world, what do my prayers do? Hasn't He planned out everything from the beginning? Does God answer your prayers? Don't answer that with a yes or no. I want you to think in terms of How many times this past week you have prayed, doing nothing else? You have prayed and asked God because you know that He will answer. How many times have you stopped what you're doing and asked Him and prayed? You know, I think that's more of an indication of whether you believe God answers your prayers. It's not a song that you sing or a verse that you quote. It's time that you spend focusing on talking to God. The story is told of a man who obtained a permit to open a bar in a small town. Members of a local church began to pray that God would intervene and interrupt the process. A few days before the tavern was due to open lightning hit the building and burned it to the ground. The church people were surprised, but pleased, until they received a notice that the would-be tavern owner was suing them for a million dollars. He contended that their prayers were responsible for the burning of the building. They denied the charge. At the conclusion of the preliminary hearing, the judge remarked, At this point, I don't know what my decision is going to be because it seems that I have a tavern owner who believes in the power of prayer and church people who don't. (laughs) As he mentioned last week, Pastor Van has planned a six-week summer series on prayer. And I'm the warm-up to the main event this week I'm talking about the priority of prayer, and next week I am to talk on the problem of why God doesn't seem to answer our requests very enthusiastically. I want to answer the question, why pray, from First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, the passage that's before you up here. 1 Timothy is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul had been to Ephesus several times. He was there in Acts 18. He was there again in Acts 19, and he stayed for two years. And we think that Paul really planted the church at Ephesus. That was probably in the year 55 or 56 or 57 A.D., And then four years later, he wrote the epistle to the Ephesians when he was in jail in Rome. That was 60 or 61 A.D. And then he was released, apparently, from prison and traveling around and came back to Ephesus and realized that the church at Ephesus had gone haywire, fallen into false doctrine and so on. So he left Timothy there to straighten things out, and he went on to... Macedonia, Philippi, Bulgaria, up there in the north. And he wrote this letter back to Timothy to give him directions as to how to straighten out the church. So Ephesus is the west coast of Turkey today. You'll notice it down there on the southwestern side. And here's a map of modern-day cities in Turkey. And if you notice that red Word over there on the left that I can't read or pronounce. Ephesus is right near there. So, how do you rescue a church from false doctrine? What do you do when a church is, has gone haywire? Paul's first directive to Timothy is this passage, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And his first command is pray. In fact, he says, prayer begins with the world pray for everybody. I want to divide this passage into five sections, six verses into five sections. So I've got five statements. You've got them on the insert, you know, fill in the blanks there, and a little space to write, draw pictures, or whatever. So the first statement comes from verses one and part of two. Our privilege is to pray for everyone. Paul says in verse 1, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position." Do you see the fact that Paul is saying church life needs to focus on prayer? See to it that there be made for all people all kinds of prayer. You, Timothy, the pastor, see to it that prayers and intercessions and supplications and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul wants this church to be permeated with prayer. And he lists four kinds of prayer. Supplications. Supplications are specific prayers. These are prayers for a person, a place, a location, a problem. This is not Lord bless the world. Supplication is a specific prayer that ties God down to an incident and a difficulty. The word prayer is the The sacred word, we, I am carrying to God, needs that only He can answer, that only He knows, that He can deal with. The word intercessions is the word that means to intervene, to interrupt. It's what you do when you notice that your child of 20 or 25 or 30 years old is going in a direction you don't think is going to be good, and you know what's going to happen, and you want to interrupt, intercede. The word is used in Romans 8 of the Holy Spirit, interceding, seeing our problems and our difficulties, and, and inserting himself with prayers. And then the word thanksgivings is what it says, thanking God for everyone, even your enemies. Thanking God, realizing that He is at work, that He does answer prayer, that He does have the answer for that thing that is unanswerable. You'll notice that each of these four words is plural. He's not talking about a prayer, but prayers and supplications. Plural emphasizes comprehensiveness, emphasizes earnestness. See to it that there be made for all people. All of these different kinds of prayers. And then he says, first of all, I urge. First of all is not talking about there will be 12 other things. It's not first as in second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. First of all means priority. I urge. This is the urgent thing. Make this the main thing. Prayer. Prayer for all people. Not only pray first, but make prayer for all the emphasis, the focus of your church. And then he says, prayer ought to focus on leaders, all who are in high positions. The word kings refers to the top leader in any country, whether he's the emperor or the Caesar or the prime minister or the president. You pray for kings, for leaders, all in authority means those who are elevated. Authority is elevated to new responsibilities, to new authorities. So we are to pray specifically for national leaders like Vladimir Putin in Russia or Narendra Mahdi, the prime minister who's recently been reelected in India, who's a radical Hindu. We are to pray for these. We're to pray for senators, for congressmen, for governors, for religious leaders, Muslim leaders, the Dalai Lama. Pray. Perhaps you're asking, well, what can my prayers do? Can I actually pray for Vladimir Putin and would he actually come to Christ? You'll notice in verse 4 that God wants us to pray for two things. He wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Can my prayers affect the salvation of a leader? All you have to do is think about Nebuchadnezzar back in the Old Testament. He was one of the most violent. And yet he had a wise man working for him who prayed three times a day. And I think he was praying for old Neb three times a day. And I think as a result of that prayer, God was entering Nebuchadnezzar's bedroom and scaring him with dreams. Do you remember that in Daniel chapter 4? Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, he can't figure out the answer to it, and he's ready to go bananas because he wants an answer to this dream. That's God at work. Do you think that your prayers would be used by God to reach into the bedroom of Vladimir Putin at 2 a.m. in the morning and convict him by the Holy Spirit? I think that's where this passage is going. This passage is saying we have an incredible opportunity by the Spirit of God to influence leaders around the world. Verse 4 also instructs us to pray that they might come to know the truth. Come to know the truth. You know, truth is essential before a person comes to Christ. People do not see the value of the gospel, the value of the death of Christ on the cross until they understand they're sinners, until they understand there's no hope, until they they understand that they're ground zero for God's wrath. Once they understand their hopeless condition, then all of a sudden the good news is good news, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he's the only one who died to pay for their sin. So Paul is encouraging us to pray that they will come to Christ, that they will come to understand the truth. I wouldn't be surprised if the word truth means something even more general than truth about their spiritual condition. You know, what would go on in this world if leaders of this world made decisions on the basis of real truth? Not just fake news, not just insufficient data. If they had truth. Have you ever prayed for that? Have you ever prayed that God would give Donald Trump absolute truth about what's going on in China? And how we should respond. Or North Korea. Or the immigration thing with Mexico. Warren Wearsby says this. You and I have such a low view of the sovereignty of God that we don't really believe that when we pray for people in authority, God can work. If the truth were known we'd find out that the machinery of the world is run by prayer. That's what Andrew Murray wrote. God rules the world by the prayers of his saints. Peter Marshall prayed and said, Lord, forgive us for thinking that prayer is a waste of time and help us see that without prayer, our work is a waste of time. Three weeks ago, after President Trump finished playing golf <clears throat> on a Sunday morning, he stopped unexpectedly at a local church. Did you hear about this? He stopped in at McLean Bible Church and they didn't have much lead time. The service was going when he came in. And so the pastor, David Platt, invited him to the front and prayed for him and prayed specifically that God would grant him grace and mercy and wisdom. There's a video clip on the McLean website if you want to watch it. It's only four minutes long, a little more than four minutes. The strange thing was that there was a reaction from the congregation against Pastor Platt. For they, they complained that Platt was endorsing Trump's policies and possibly his persona. And then David Platt issued an apology to those who felt hurt. And then the next Sunday he spoke on that and did an excellent job of explaining the fact that he's obeying 1 Timothy 2 as he prayed for them. And then Cal Thomas wrote an op-ed piece where he said that Reverend Platt did the right thing when he prayed for Donald Trump. And then he gave this piece of advice to those who were complaining. He said, and I quote, Maybe the grumblers should spend more time in Sunday school learning the scriptures in which they claim to believe with no cherry picking allowed. Can you imagine people complaining over the privilege their pastor had to put his hand on President Trump and invoke blessings upon him from the throne of grace? I would imagine that if Donald Trump, no, I would imagine if the Apostle Paul, (laughs) if the Apostle Paul had been preaching at the church in Rome and this man walked in, Nero, he would have done the same thing. He would have called him up and prayed for him. Do you pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence? That's our first responsibility. Pray for everyone, especially leaders. You have the privilege of influencing politics in the United States as well as in remote countries of the world at the great throne of the universe, the throne of grace. The second statement is that prayer for everyone leads to peace. Prayer for everyone leads to peace. The verse goes, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That introduces purpose. Pray for this purpose, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. It's not prayer so that things will go well for us necessarily, but things, that things will go well for the country, that things will go well for the city. Leaders are capable of doing a lot of damage. I'm listening for an amen. And leaders are capable of doing a lot of good. Jewish people sometimes had difficulties believing that God could use an unbelieving or non-Jewish ruler to bless them and bring them peace. At the time of Christ, there were Jewish zealots who would not pray for or obey any heathen ruler. Instead, they would support attacks on the government. Remember that one of them was a disciple of Christ, Simon the Zealot. Is it true that God cannot bless you if you're in a country that doesn't believe in God or a ruler who's an enemy of the gospel? Suppose you were kidnapped from a quiet street in Charlestown and taken as a slave to Iraq and dumped in the city of, let's say, Mosul. Just dumped. No preparation, no help. You don't know the language. The people aren't interested in helping you. They have enough trouble feeding themselves. You're an extra mouth. You can't talk. You can't do anything to help them. You don't know what they're talking about anyway. How would you respond? Would you expect in that situation God's blessing? Or would you think maybe your life is over? That's the situation that Jeremiah is writing about. Jeremiah is writing to his countrymen who have been taken as slaves, captive, defeated and captive, taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Iraq and dumped in these cities. And they're over there, and these guys rise up who are false prophets. They rise up as prophets, and they're trying to encourage the people to fight. Fight this guy, and we'll be out of here in two years, and we'll go back to Jerusalem. And Jeremiah writes this letter in Jeremiah chapter 29, and here's what he says in Jeremiah 29 verse 7. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. Do you see the point? The point is that your welfare is tied up in your prayers. Your prayers for the city, the country, the welfare of the land in which you've been dumped. Doesn't matter that Nebuchadnezzar is running the show. Doesn't matter that those people don't care. You pray for that city because your welfare it hinges on their welfare. And then just four verses later, just four verses after this after this verse, we have this statement that you hear quoted time and time again. This is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. These are slaves dumped in Iraq to give you a future and a hope. You pray for the city. I'll give you a future and a hope. We quote that verse, you know, but we don't think about the responsibility that's connected with that verse. This same chapter talks about those who decide they're not going to pray for the country. They decide that they're going to encourage rebellion against the country. And it even names two of the guys who rise up as false prophets and try to stir the people up into rebellion. This is 11 verses later in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29, 22. There's a curse pronounced on them look at the curse the lord make you like zedekiah and ahab whom the king of babylon roasted in the fire do you see the point we have all these excuses as to why we don't have what we need or want as to why we don't have peace it's the economy it's the trade war within with china it's the democrats It's the Republicans. It's the president's immigration policy. Has anybody prayed? James says you have not because you ask not. We are invited to ask God, to intervene, to supplicate God on specific issues that we might experience peace. I think that too few people believe that their prayers can influence anything more than the weather, if that much. I think too few people believe that their prayers can influence national affairs and contribute to peace. That God, in answer to their prayers, can work in the hearts of kings and presidents and prime ministers to wake them up at night and convict them by the Holy Spirit. Do you? Don't answer yes or no. Think in terms of how often you prayed for peace this past week. Peace in Iraq. Peace in Syria. Peace in North Korea. Peace in Sudan. That's number two. Number three says, prayer for everyone pleases God. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What's so important about prayer that is good and pleasing in the sight of God? Well, when you pray this way, you know you're in God's will. Ever worried about the will of God? Ever wondered what God wanted for you, why you're on planet Earth? What is God's will for my life? This verse says, You pray for somebody, anybody, and God is pleased. So relax and pray, and you're in the will of God. Why does such prayer please God? Why does it say God is pleased when we pray that people will be saved and come to know the truth? Well, look at the title that Paul gives God here. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. God, our Savior. It's not God, our judge. It's not God our sovereign it's God our savior do you find that to be an interesting title paul repeats that very title four chapters later he says in first timothy chapter 4 verse 10 for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living god who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe here's the description of God's character here's the foundation of our relationship with him he is the savior of all people how he's the one who chose to send his only begotten son to meet the need of the world the sin problem John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 that at the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He is God, our Savior. That's his character. What a privilege to be invited to participate in God's sovereign worldwide outreach. It's almost as if God is saying, pick your target, take a country, take a leader, pray for him. I want him to be saved. I want him to come to know the truth. Join me. Have you ever heard that invitation anywhere? Ever said the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer is an invitation to join God. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I think that's similar to what's happening here. God is saying, pick a country. My kingdom will come as you pray for that country and the Spirit of God works. To accomplish my will. Number four. Statement number four: pray, prayer for everyone fits the heart of God. I'm in verse four. Who desires all people to be saved and come to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the connection between three and four. God, our Savior. Desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is acknowledging God's heart for the world. What's going on in his heart? Here's why God is so pleased when his people catch a glimpse of global prayer. Because the God who has saved us wants his salvation to reach all people. God's heart goes out to all. It really wouldn't make sense to pray for all if God wasn't interested in all, if God had only certain people he wanted saved. The justification for global intercession is God's desire and willingness to save all. But does all really mean all? Does all mean all? As you know, there's controversy over this verse because some Christians don't believe that God desires all to be saved. They teach that God desires some to be saved. They believe that God loves some people like Jacob and hates other people like Esau. How do you fit those statements in with the word all? Well, you could restrict the word all To mean some, maybe some that God has chosen, or maybe all kinds or all classes of people. Or maybe it's not talking about individuals as such, but all different races and all different groups of people. And Paul wishes that kings and people in authority be included in that group. Besides, some people say if it's the will of God that every individual should be saved, then everyone would be saved. For who has resisted his will? But I don't think that we can narrow down this verse. I don't think we can narrow the word all to mean less than all. The word actually appears six times in these six verses. I want you to notice each use of the word all. Verse one, first of all. Then prayer to be made for all people. Verse 2, for kings and all who are in high positions. And then verse 2, godly and dignified in every way. That's the word all. And then all people to be saved, verse 4 and verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. Do you see how each all is talking about all? <laughs> it's hard to restrict verse 4 to a certain group or to different classes of people since it's in the middle of these comprehensive alls. The truth is that God, our Savior, yearns for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verses 3 and 4 are describing his heart. It's like the heart of any good father, any good father. Does a good father want half his kids to mess up their lives and ruin others in the process? Absolutely not. Does a good father want any of them to turn away into sin and live in despair? Absolutely not. He wants all of them to come to Christ, all of them to experience the fullness of life. He wants everyone to be successful and happy and prosperous transfer that same human motivation to our heavenly Father. The fact that God wills all to be saved doesn't mean all will be saved any more than a good father willing each of his children to be blessed will be able to bless each one of them. All we like sheep have turned astray. Have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. I found personally the great encouragement it is when other people join you in your family needs. You know, the Shoopy family, we have six kids, and our six kids are pretty much perfect. (laughs) But their problems begin with their father, well, really with their mother. And sometime, it was about a year ago, we were over here in D2 on a Wednesday night, and we were taught, I was talking about Ephesians, and we got in this discussion about children and, you know, runaways and disobedient and so on. And I don't remember how, this, how it all worked, but, but near the end of the time, a man said to me, I will personally pray for your daughter that God will get a hold of her heart. do you know what that did for me? That was such an encouragement to me to realize that there is somebody else praying for my beautiful daughter. I wouldn't be surprised if that's similar to what's happening here, where God is saying, this is my heart. Will you join me? Will you catch the vision of the possibilities here and participate in the opportunities? We're not talking about a theological point here. We're talking about a heart. The heart of our Heavenly Father that yearns for every one of His children. We see His heart in John 3.16. For God... So loved the world that he could not hold back heaven's greatest treasure, his only begotten son. We see the heart of God in the cry of Jesus Christ in Matthew 23, when he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you would not. We see his heart during Christ's triumphal entry. Luke 19, Jesus and the entourage come over the hill and see the city of Jerusalem. And Jesus burst into tears. And verse 41 says he broke down with loud cries of weeping. That's a very strong word. Uncontrollable weeping. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Can you imagine Messiah entering his city? The official day of his entrance prophesied by Zechariah chapter 9. And he's weeping uncontrollably for his children. That's the heart of God. Our Savior. That's the motivation behind global prayer. It's not because somebody said so. It's not because somebody preached it. The reason for global prayer is because God is so. God is love. And that yearning for every child reflects his heart. He is God our Savior. His heart is on the world. His desire is all to be saved and delights in us praying to that end. Are you praying to that end? How easy it is to slacken, thinking that its value is slight. After all, what can one person as weak as I am do to make any contribution to what God is doing in Siberia or in Charlestown? You know, that may be the wrong question. That may may not be the way to ask it. Maybe I should maybe I should realize that I'm not contributing maybe I'm joining God in his work in his heart he possesses global love why do I pray because that's where God is what he's doing one more Statement number five, prayer for everyone fits the sacrifice of Christ. This is verses five and six. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There's only one God. There's only one way to God through Christ, the only mediator. Christ is not only the mediator, he is the means He made it possible for people to come to the only one God by giving himself a ransom for all. God has much at stake in the salvation of the world. His son died for all. Muhammad didn't die. The Buddha didn't die. Jesus Christ died for all. The word the word for the word for emphasis the word for stresses substitution you know for can mean benefit i can do it for your benefit you know i can prepare a meal not me my wife can prepare a meal for your benefit that you would enjoy, mine you would not enjoy. My wife can also prepare a meal in your place so that you don't have to prepare a meal. That's the word substitution. For can mean substitution. So Christ gave himself a ransom for, as a substitute for all. He died not only for our benefit, but he died in our place to pay our debt. He died our death as our substitute. The reason we can be forgiven is because he was not forgiven. Here again is the heart of God. Christ's death was for all people. This is the reason for such strong statements of universal opportunity for anyone to come to God. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Our children, early on, prayed for everyone. We had six children, and in family prayers, the prayer normally went down the line, you know, and and was something like this. God bless Mommy, Daddy, Joseph, Jennifer, Sarah, Melinda, Rebecca, Jonathan, a couple of friends, a couple of relatives... And everybody in the world. Amen. And usually that prayer took 14 seconds. As they got older and more sophisticated, the everybody in the whole world phrase at the end dropped out. You know? And I think it dropped out just as they began to realize how enormous that request was. And it dropped out because perhaps they felt that that request was kind of childish. A little naive. And yet, if such praying were childish and useless, Paul would not urge what he does here. Paul believes that it's the first thing we ought to do. We ought to pray for all. So why pray? We have been given the privilege of participating in the heart of God who wants salvation for all his children. We're invited to join him in the outreach of his kingdom. We've been granted a way to influence people and leaders around the world through the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. There are no limitations of times and seasons or requests that we can make at the throne of grace. And my guess, this may be Shupi's false doctrine, but my guess is that one of the things that we will be disappointed over someday in the future will be the enormous power and influence at our disposal that we didn't use So here's the assignment for this week. Should you choose to accept it? <clears throat> and if you don't understand that phrase, you're too young. <laughs> or haven't seen. Yeah. Uh, assignment. Take your card. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to take your card and write down five the names of five, five people you know who are unbelievers, who are rebellious, who aren't interested in the things of the Lord, write down five names that you want to commit yourself to pray for each day this week. Just write them down. I'll give you 30 seconds. Write down five names. You can write down more than that if you want to write down 20. But the picture is that I would like for you to pray for these five names each day this week. Just once a day. Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. You can pray for them more. They may come to mind. Pray for them anytime they come to mind. Pray for five names. The picture is the high priest in the Old Testament. The high priest, when he had his robe and his gown on, had a plaque that was on his chest that had the 12 tribes of Israel. And the picture was that he always had these 12 tribes on his heart wherever he went these 12 are on his heart so pray for five unbelievers this week and then the second part of the assignment is to write down the names of five world leaders world leaders This assignment is more specific. I want you to start with Donald Trump. And then I want you to put down Benjamin Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister of Israel. And then I'd like you to put down Narendra Mahdi. Benjamin Netanyahu on the left. Narendra Mahdi, who is the Prime Minister of India, on the right, and here's how you spell it. Donald, (laughs) D-O-N. Narendra, N-A-R-E-N-D-R-A. Mahdi. And then add two others, two other names of leaders. Vladimir Putin, if you want, or Alpha Kandi in Guinea. Choose them. So the idea is you will pray for these 10 once a day, maybe twice a day, maybe 10 times a day. All right. That's the assignment. How many of you have chosen to accept this assignment? All right. That's good. That's good. I think That if out of these three services that we've had this morning, I think if a hundred people will take this assignment seriously and pray that God will work in the hearts of these people, not only to save them, but to bring them to the knowledge of the truth. I'm not a prophet, but I think I can promise changes, significant changes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the incredible opportunity that you have given us of influencing people around the world because we are connected to the Holy Spirit who has all kinds of power and influence. I pray that you will give us a new vision of the value of global prayer. And I pray that you would instill in each one of us that heart motivation that drove you to send your only begotten Son for our benefit. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So don't forget that tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having world prayer back in 106. We'd encourage you to come. Thank you. Have a good, good week. The Lord bless you.